the services of Bethel Baptist this evening. It's good to see everyone that's here. We welcome you joining us online. Let's take our hymn books and turn to hymn number 257. 257, My Sheep Know My Voice. Oh 
10. Hymn number 10, Jesus saves.
That's where we find him in that book. It's, uh, thankful we have a pastor and an associate pastor, co-pastor, whatever title may be, that uh, teaches what is in that word. And, uh, and Brother Derek enjoyed his his devotional message the other day. Uh, let's remember to pray for one another always. Remember Brother Ray. Remember Thomas. Sister Amy's having some trouble. Uh, Mike Dameron. Jim Hicks. Sister Lisa's brother-in-law. Remember Brother Jim and Brother John. Remember Brother John as he brings a message tonight. <coughs> Valerie's still having bad days and some good days. Sister Joan's daughter. Uh, Ann Reeves will remember her and her husband Dave who lost a child. Cashley Kessler, a young child that uh, can't, I can't really remember what was going on. Uh, but a young child, I believe it was a cancer of some kind. Uh, Hollis Doolin, Sheila's cousin with Parkinson's. Roland Richter, Brother Tony's friend. Uh, uh, Tanya Kandari, Brother Cameron's friend. Uh, everyone on the prayer list. And Ronnie Wolf. What do I remember him? Pastor Wolf. <clears throat> He is, he suffered so many strokes, if I remember right, and he's struggling to walk, get back to walking with his crutches, and he is desire, uh, I was reading the other day on Facebook, is to pastor at least two or three more years. So remember him as we pray. And, uh, others on our prayer list, there's very many to remember. Uh, the upcoming uh, services will have our business meeting this evening after the service. The next prayer breakfast at Grace Baptist is this Saturday, March 11th at 9 a.m. there at Grace Baptist off Mount Zion Road. The next fellowship meeting is March 25th at Pleasant View, 6 p.m. That's a Saturday. March 25th, the Lord's Supper we're planning on observing here April 30th following the afternoon service and the mother-daughter banquet is May 20th at 4 p.m. here. So let's be in prayer for these things and uh, remember one another. Remember our widows in the church and remember them and uh, our shut-ins. One member, Sister Voisel, Sister Iris. She is better physically, I believe, I understand, but she's going to be going through therapy before she can go back to Colonial Heights. Is that correct, brother? I believe. Yeah. For Iris. And, uh, others who aren't here this evening, let's remember them too. Uh, so, so go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Brother Hugh, Brother Hugh, would you lead us in prayer?
Saturday evening, uh, both of you, there's going to be a, there's going to be a special meeting or singing. But there's going to be a singing. Uh, the Kettle family will be there at 6.30. Saturday, Saturday evening. evening. Yeah. This Saturday. At Pleasant View? Pleasant View, right. This Saturday at 6.30 at Pleasant View, the Kittle family is going to be singing. Uh, Saturday evening. Saturday, I know not. Saturday, I don't know if there's anything going on Friday night or not. Oh, okay. <laughs> Six o'clock. I can call. Brother John. If you want to be turning in the book to the uh, book of Luke. Gospel according to Luke. <clears throat> Maybe it's just because I like learning something and um, I like knowing something that I have the philosophy that anything you can learn about the Bible is helpful. Amen. Anything you can learn about the Bible is um, necessary sometimes for understanding the Bible. Uh, sometimes even if it's not doesn't it doesn't expose itself until later on it's like why did i learn this it didn't help me it didn't explain anything uh but 20 years later you might come across something and that might pop into your head oh yeah now i see the connection and that answers that and that's the reason for that so um i i read a lot of books um about jewish things jewish culture um, and you might say, well, you know, all that's been done away with. That's all Old Testament. But remember, all the disciples, except for maybe one, all the apostles were Jewish. Jesus was a Jewish man. Paul was definitely a Jewish man. Uh, the Bible is predominantly written by Jewish people. Uh, the Jewish people, um, you know, as Paul even asked the question, well, then what big deal is it to be a Jew? And he said, well, the big deal is that the oracles of God were delivered unto them. And they held those and they kept those and preserved those oracles of God, the word of God, the Bible, the, the Hebrew Old Testament. 
So it doesn't do me any harm <clears throat> to read something about what the Jews thought about certain things. If, yeah. if, if it doesn't match with the New Testament, then I just ignore it. Uh, but if it does, then, you know, obviously it might help me understand some things about the Bible. So today we're going to talk about the order of the books in the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, otherwise known as the Tanakh. Uh, the Tanakh, what it's called, is different than the Torah. The Torah is just the first five books of the Old Testament, and we call it the Old Testament. They would call it their Hebrew Bible, or they would just call it their Bible. Uh, they wouldn't even say Hebrew. They would just call it their Bible. But the Torah, of course, is Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, the Jewish people divide up their Old Testament differently than the way we do. Uh, two things. One is the, the books are in a different order. Uh, they're not in the same order as ours. And also, they've divided them up and categorized them differently than the way we do. Uh, obviously, we've divided the Old Testament into five sections. Uh, the law, history, poetry, major prophets, minor prophets. And the 39 books can be divided in, into those things. Uh, you ask most Protestants and most Baptists, uh, how the Old Testament is divided up, that's what they'll say. Uh, the law, history, poetry, major prophets, minor prophets. But the Jews didn't do it that way. They only divided their Bible into three sections. And those three sections are the Torah, again, the first five books, uh, which sometimes we'll call it the Pentateuch uh, from the Greek. Uh, so that's the Pentateuch, five books, Pentateuch, but that's the Torah. And then they, the next section they have is called the prophets, um, which includes most of the history books and most of the prophetic books. Uh, it's a rather large section. And then after that, they have a section called the writings, the writings. Um, and we'll go through these books in just a second. Uh, so they've taken those three words, uh, the, the Hebrew word Torah, which starts with a T, and the word prophets, which is the word Nevium, uh, which starts with an N, and then the writings is Kethuvim, which is, starts with a K, or a CH sound, or however you want it. Sometimes it's transliterated as a Q, uh, or a K, um, or sometimes as a CH. So they put those three letters together, T, N, and K, and they put an A after the first two, and they come up with Tanakh. Uh, so the Tanakh, if you ever read that in the commentary, now you like, like you say, your eyes are already glazing over, and it's like, why do I need to know all this stuff, right? This is like minutia, right? No, 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 I'm going to show you in a minute. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's important. Uh, you read commentaries, and you come across the word Tanakh, now you'll know what it is. It's the entire Old Testament 39 books. Uh, Torah is the first five books. The Talmud, that's another, that's like an encyclopedia size um, writings of a lot of different rabbis that talked about the, the Old Testament and the laws and stuff. So um, the Torah, like I said, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophets, like I said, includes most of the history books and almost all the prophetic books. So it is Joshua, and you might right away say, well, Joshua is history like the way we divide the book, right? The Old Testament into history. How does that fit into the prophets? Well, you got to understand what the word prophet means. A prophet is a person that speaks on the behalf of God. Right. 
A prophet secondary definition is somebody that foretells the future. That's way secondary. Most people, when they talk about prophets and prophecy, that's the only thing they think about is foretelling the future. But in the biblical sense, a prophet is one that tells forth the word of God and just speaks the word of God. Well, think of Joshua. God spoke to him many times, and he spoke the word of God. Think of the judges. Some of them, God appeared to them and spoke to them, Gideon. You know, Gideon and God had a conversation going back and forth with the fleece and the the dew and, you know, back and forth. And and he gave out the word of God and was told to do this and that and uh, to kill certain people and to overthrow idols. So, yes, these people are referred to as prophets, uh, not so much because they foretold the future, but they were a, a mouthpiece of God and they told forth the word of God. So we have Joshua, Judges. You'll notice we don't have Ruth. Uh, it's in the writings. We have First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and remember, and we don't have First and Second Chronicles. That's in the writings section. We have then all the major and minor prophets: Isaiah, Jeremiah, but we don't have Lamentations. You notice we also skipped Nehemiah and Ezra, uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. We skipped all of those. So yeah, we've got Joshua, Judges, skip Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Skip for Second Chronicles, Ezra, Jeremiah, um, Isaiah, not Ezra, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all of the major and minor prophets. Except for, did you notice, there's no Daniel. Now, Daniel is a premier prophetic book. If you study end times and you want to study future events, uh, you're going to study, uh, obviously, the book of Revelation, book of Zechariah, uh, book of Ezekiel, um, and maybe Jeremiah a little bit, some of Isaiah, and definitely Daniel. You definitely have to study Daniel. Amen. But it's not considered one of the prophets. It's a later writing. So the writings start with Psalms, and they do them out of order again. Uh, you know how we have Job first, then Psalms, then Proverbs? Well, they have Psalms first and the writings, then Proverbs, then Job, and the Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, First and Second Chronicles. That's their, that's their outline of their Bible. So if you want to find one of those books, you have to know that order if you're looking in a Hebrew Bible. Because uh, that is the order. Um, so, again, you say, well, big deal. Who cares? What, why do I care? Why do I need to know this? Well, the reason is, <clears throat> if you looked at those books of the Bible, the Torah starts, of course, with Genesis. And the Torah is the five books of the law that Jews and Gentiles both agree on. The first five books are the books of Moses, the books of the law. Then they have the prophets, which starts with Joshua. Uh, and judges and all the historical books, plus all the prophets. Then they have the writings, their third one, um, which starts with Psalms. So if you look in Luke chapter 24, if you look in Luke 24, and we're going to read just one verse here, verse 44, Luke 24, verse 44. And he said unto them, this is Jesus, talking to some people. He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, 
that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in, and then Jesus lists the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. This is the three sections of the Hebrew Old Testament. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the writing starting with the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is listed first. And most people, when they read this verse, they think that the book of Psalms is actually a symbol for that whole section of the writings. Uh, so he's given us the uh, three sections. Now, it doesn't matter how you divide up the book, you know, the Old Testament. It doesn't really matter a whole great deal about that. But what Jesus is doing here really, sort of sneakily, he's giving us where the canon starts and stops. Because the Jews considered these 39 books, and if you, again, read a commentary, they won't have 39 books because they put all the 12 minor prophets into one book. That's because they were writing on scrolls and all the 12 minor prophets could fit on one scroll. So they considered that as one book. So when you read a Hebrew book and they talk about having a different number of books in the Old Testament instead of 39, yeah, they haven't left out anything. They're just combining books, and that's why their number is less than our number of 39. But Jesus is telling us that those are the books that are in the Bible. And the reason why this is important is because during the 400 years from the closing of Malachi up to when Jesus appeared, there were still scriptures, writings being written. In fact, the Catholic Church has about 15 extra books that they put into the Old Testament. And they consider these 15 books, the Apocrypha, as inspired. This is where they get worshiping angels and praying to angels. This is where they get praying to saints, is out of their Apocrypha, these extra books after the closing of the canon. So Jesus is telling us this is what the Bible consists of, these three sections, these three sections. Uh, if you look in Luke chapter three, Again, because people ask, well, why don't you, Protestants, why don't you accept these 15 books? Well, there's a lot of problems with these 15 books, but one reason is because the Bible doesn't tell us to accept those. Uh, the Jews didn't accept them as inspired writings. They didn't include them in their canon. Um, not that we follow everything the Jews say, but... So here in Luke chapter 11, if you look in verse 50... Verse 50, this is again Jesus talking. Uh, that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. Now, he's talking about this generation being an evil generation. And he's saying all the blood of all the people that God sent to speak to you, all the prophets, this blood is going to really rest on you because you're not accepting what they said because they, they said they wrote about me, Jesus says, and you don't accept that. So their blood is on your hands. Verse 51 is a very interesting verse, and you, gotta, you should know this, this verse. From, he's talking about all the blood of the Old Testament, all the prophets, all the witnesses of the Old Testament. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar of the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Now, everybody knows the story of Abel. You know, Cain killed Abel. He's the first person that was killed, the first murderer in the Bible. 
Um, so that's the, what Jesus picks out, the blood of Abel. Okay, you're responsible for all the blood of all the prophets that God sent from Abel, the very beginning, the early chapter of Genesis, um, to Zacharias. Now, there's some conflict about if this Zacharias is actually the one in Second Chronicles, but most people think it is, and we won't get into that debate. Um, but this Zacharias, this story that, that was perished between the altar of the temple and the temple, uh, you'll find that in Second Chronicles chapter 24, and we won't go and read the story. But my point is, this doesn't mean anything to us in our division of the Bible and uh, the order of the books that we have in the Bible. But when Jesus says from Abel to Zacharias, and we see that Abel was in Genesis, and Zacharias, the account of his death, is in 2 Chronicles. Remember when I read all these books of the Bible, 2 Chronicles is the last book of the Hebrew Bible. That's the end. And again, Jesus is showing us what the Bible consists of. He's showing us what the Old Testament is. It's from Genesis to 2 Chronicles. Now, like I said, in our Bible, 2 Chronicles is over there by 1 and 2 Kings. It's somewhere over close to the beginning. Got a lot of books after 2 Chronicles. But in the Hebrew Bible, 2 Chronicles is the end. That's the final book. So what Jesus is saying, all those books, that's the Old Testament. Those are your scriptures. That's the inspiration of God right there. Those are the books you need to be reading. All these other books that are written afterwards, no, they, they're not included. All the Apocrypha, all those other books that you know the Catholics have in their Bibles, yeah, they're not inspired. And Jesus shows us that by limiting the Old Testament from there to there. And you miss that if you don't know the order of the Hebrew books. So see, something as mundane and something so tedious as looking at the order of the Hebrew books of the Bible it's like, why in the world would I need to know that? Well, for a verse like this. Right. It shows you uh, what, what you would think of as useless information, how it comes into play, and how it all of a sudden makes sense and it explains something, and it shows us something, a truth that's in the Bible. Now, with that ammunition, we can prove to somebody that, yeah, I don't, I don't accept that book. Why? Because Jesus didn't accept that book. You know, there were other people that died in those other books, like the Maccabees. It talks all about the war that happened in those 400 silent years. There was a lot of martyrs, Jewish martyrs during those years. And it's recorded in, why didn't Jesus talk about the Maccabees? Because they're not inspired books. Why did he stop with Second Chronicles? That's the final book of the Old Testament for the Hebrews. That is the end of the Bible. Um, now, moving on because we're gonna look at some other things. Uh, if you look in Malachi, very last book of our Bible, Malachi, it's easy to find right before Matthew, last book of the Old Testament. If you notice, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, uh, again, this is sort of minutia, but it, it has a point here. The very last words of the Hebrew Bible and our Bible, the way we've got them with Malachi being the end, it says, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. God is threatening to smite the earth with a curse. Uh, sometimes I've heard preachers even mention the last two words of the Old Testament is a curse. 
And obviously, the, they draw the analogy of, hey, that's the law. The, under the law, you are cursed. Uh, every man, you know, the, the, the curse is under the law. You can't keep the law, so you're cursed because of the law, and you can't keep it. Uh, so the Old Testament stops with a curse. And that sounds pretty sad, right? A curse, really? That's the last word you want to have? Well, look at the Hebrew Bible at the end, which is Second Chronicles. Look at Second Chronicles and see how their Bible ends. It's a little more uplift, uplifting than a curse, okay? So if you look in Second Chronicles, uh, chapter, what is that, 36? Chapter 36, the very last verse, and we'll just read the last sentence. The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. That's like uplifting. Let the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now this is, um, who is it? Cyrus. Cyrus giving the Jews permission to go back to Israel and back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and, and do all that kind of stuff. This is the, the edict that is. But still, I'm just showing you the very last words of the Hebrew Bible are more uplifting. Let the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Let him arise. Let him become strong. Uh, it's rather important. So if you'll turn to Genesis, well, we won't turn to Genesis. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. So again, in your thinking, think about the three divisions of the Old Testament uh, according to the Hebrews. Uh, the first section, of course, is the Torah. The first book of that section is Genesis. And we won't turn to it, but the first uh, chapter of the book of Genesis, which is the first section, the Torah, um, it talks about God speaking in creation. Ten times in the first chapter, it says, God said, God said, and God said, and God said. God spoke, God said, God said. Ten times in Genesis 1. You know, the, the Bible is all about the Bible. The Bible is all about the Word of God. And the Word of God being holy and pure, without mistake, being used by the Holy Spirit to give salvation, to give us a spiritual resurrection, um, the, the, it's all about the word of God. I mean, you look at Psalm 119, every verse in there is about the word of God, something about it, you know, over and over again. We won't go into the, the word of God, um, all the, you know, in Timothy and other places, but the word of God is important. And I think God did this on purpose. You know, you might say, well, the... Did the Jews really think about this division? Did it just happen? Did it just sort of fall into their lap? Who, who's the one that came up with this? Well, I think God's the one that came up with it. Amen. It's just like our chapter and verse divisions. They're not inspired. You know, some man did it. Some man did the chapter divisions, and then later on somebody else put into verse divisions. So no, they're not, quote, inspired, but they're very helpful. Um, the people that did that were, I think, definitely led of God to do some of what they did because it, it makes a big difference. I mean, again, look at Isaiah, you know, look at all that we studied that, the 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah and all the same things for the whole Bible, 66 books. So was that just by happenstance? It's just a circumstance that it just, no, I think God did this on purpose. So in Genesis, the very first book of that first section, it talks about the word of God over and over again. God said, God said, God said. And just a little aside here, not only did God say, 
but it happened. Uh, you know, God said, let there be light, and there was light instantly. Whatever God said, it happened. I think this sort of goes along with the, the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer, when he says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, sometimes people try to cut that and say, thy will be done, and they think that's the thing. No, it's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the whole phrase. That's the whole idea. And how is God's will done in heaven? Well, how is it done? God speaks and it's so. That's how it's done in heaven. And the prayer is, I want your will to be done like that on the earth. When God commands his angels to do something, do you think they sit around complaining about it, belly aching about this, and I'm tired today and I don't want to do this? No, God commands them to do something, they do it. They're off on, on, on their mission. So the prayer is, let your will be done on earth the same way that it's done in heaven, with the same instancy, with the same persistency, with the same results, with the same non-complaining about it. You know, I, I think that's what that verse in, in the Lord's Prayer actually means. And Genesis 1 shows us that that's what happens in the universe. God speaks and it happens. It's just instant. There it is. Um, so in Joshua chapter 1, though, which is the beginning of the second section, the prophets, Joshua is the first book of the prophets. Um, at the beginning, we have, again, a, a God telling us about studying his word, about learning his word, about reading his word, about doing his word. Now, it's very personal because it's written to Joshua. Um, Joshua 1, it says, And after the, the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun. He spake. So again, it's the word of God going out. Uh, jump down to verse 6, though. Um, in these next, like, four verses, God three times tells Joshua to be strong and be courageous. Three different times for three different things. He tells him to be strong. In verse 6, be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Now, obviously, when they got the land, before they could divide it, they actually had to conquer it. And yes, God over and over again says, I'm going to give you this land, this land that I'm going to give you. But that didn't negate the idea that they had to go in and fight for it. You know, like I've been saying lots of times, God uses means. So they still had to go in and fight for it and do something. Uh, so he's telling them to be courageous because you're going to go in, fight for the land, and then you're going to divide the land, and you've got to be strong and have a lot of courage to do that. Verse 7 and 8, though, go together, and this is at the beginning of this section. He says, only be thou strong and very courageous. Second time, be strong, very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. He's telling him to be strong and courageous in keeping the law. Obey the law, even when you think it's wrong, even when you don't understand why, even when nobody else is doing it. Be strong and courageous in keeping the law that I set up. That's what he's telling him, the commandments which Moses commanded. Uh, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper. 
uh, whithersoever thou goest. Now we're going to see, we're going to look in Psalms in a minute, which is the beginning of the third section, right? That's the first book of the, of the, the writings. And we're going to see that some of these same kinds of words, these same kinds of messages are written in the book of Psalms. Each one of the first books of these three sections talks about the word of God, that you need to get after it. You need to learn it. You need to meditate on it. You need to do it. And you will prosper if you do. And that's what he's saying here. Don't go over to the left hand. Don't go to the right hand. No, you stay right in the middle and you obey what I said that thou mayest prosper. We're going to find that in Psalm 1. He uses the exact same word, that thou mayest prosper. Uh, verse 9, the, this book of the law shall not depart, depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. We're going to see that in Psalms. Again, the word of God, you need to meditate on the word of God. Uh, day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. You know, if you don't know what it says, how can you do it? How can you obey it if you don't know what it says? That's why we're instructed to read it and to understand it and to meditate in it so we can understand what he's telling us to do. Then we can do it. Uh, and sometimes that takes a little bit of courage. Like I said, not everybody's following the, what the Bible says and you've got the courage to stand out and say, hey, the Bible says to do this. God tells me to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So that takes courage. And that's what he's telling them. Be courageous about obeying my law, and you will prosper. Meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Second time he's used the same word. Make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know, you can have success. You can get fame and power and money and glory and all kinds of other things. And that's what, you know, our United States sort of has set up as success. But that's not success in the Bible. So when he's talking about good success, it's a different list of things than what you see on the TV. You're not successful unless you use this deodorant. You know, you're not successful unless you drive this kind of car, you know. All those kind of things. No, success in the Bible is a lot different. Um, I'll just cut to the chase and tell you. You know what success in the Bible is? Finding out the will of God and doing it. That's success. Finding out the will of God and doing it. That's success. So he says, if you read the, this word, if it shall not depart out of thy mouth, if you meditate on it uh, day and night, then your way will be prosperous and thou shalt have good success. And then verse 9 has the, the, uh, the other be strong, uh, for, I've not command, for have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Uh, again, that's a, a comfort to know that God has told Joshua three times, be strong and be courageous, be strong and have courage, be courageous. And he ends it by saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, Joshua might have probably thought, felt a little lost with Moses dying because Moses had such a relationship with God. I mean, they talked face to face. He went up on the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights and communed with God, saw God right on the tablets, the Ten Commandments, came back down, face shining. And I mean, you know, and he dies, Moses dies. And then 
I'm left over and now I'm supposed to take this group in and I'm supposed to fight these battles and these people are supposed to listen to me and you know, uh, but no, God is encouraging him, but it's based on reading the word, meditating on the word, doing the word of God. So if you go to Psalm chapter, I was gonna say chapter one, but it's the first Psalm. Now remember, this is the third division of the Hebrew Bible. This is the first chapter of the first division of the third division of the Hebrew Bible. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel. Counsel is words, isn't it? Right away, he, he opens up this section of writings, the third section of the Hebrew Bible, with talking about words, talking about written word and spoken word again, just like Genesis 1 and Joshua 1. Man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Yeah, and it takes courage. You gotta be strong to not do those three things too. I mean, those are very easy traps to fall into. Uh, and he says, nope, don't do that. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. But this is what you should do. Your delight is in the law of the Lord. Third section of the Hebrew Bible, he starts it out sort of the same way, talking about the word of God, the word of God, the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Where will we sing that phrase? Joshua chapter one, he told Joshua the same thing. Meditate in this word day and night. Opens up the third section of the Bible, Hebrew Bible with the same admonition. Meditate in it day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Now, those are all things that, you know, bad things when you wither and, you know, when your fruit doesn't ripen and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he says, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Again, God is promising prosperity. Now, you can't just reach right in and say, God's promised prosperity. Sign me up. I want that. No, there's some things you got to do. Look at the verses right before it. Don't sit in the seat of the, the scornful. You know, don't, don't take the counsel of the ungodly. Uh, but you're, you meditate in the word day and night. Really? Meditate day and night, day and night? That's a lot of time, isn't it? Uh, you know, I don't do that. I don't meditate in the word day and night. Um, now, you notice he doesn't say read the word. That would be hard. But, you know, we can meditate while we're driving, while we're falling asleep, it's dark, and you can run scriptures through your head. And, you know, that's meditating, and that's good too. Uh, so, and I think that is what he's talking about. But he says, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And again, do you think this is just by happenstance that these three particular chapters ended up being the first chapters of each of these sections that the Hebrews decided to divide their Bible up with? I don't think so. I think God put it there on purpose. Every section that you get into the Hebrew Bible, we're gonna start it off by giving you a promise of prosperity connected to the qualifications that you study the Bible, that you read the Bible, you do the Bible, you meditate on the Bible. You do that, then you will have good success. Um, and like I said, God doesn't do anything by chance. We human beings, we, we think chance just, yeah, by chance, it just happened, you know? Uh, but no, God does everything. I mean, this is his word. This will be recorded and taken to heaven. This will be one thing that's on the earth that's going to make it to eternity. 
God's word is settled forever. So God doesn't just play it. And God's got such a brain, you know. I mean, it puts us all to shame. All our brains collectively doesn't equal one-tenth of God's brain. I mean, the comparison is like nothing. Um, the Bible gives us a true comparison. We're like a worm of the dust. When we compare ourselves with God, that's what we are. We look at an earthworm and we think, you know, what a stupid creature. They don't even know, they don't even know they're alive. They don't know where they're going. They don't know to get out of the way when danger comes. I mean, you know, what kind of brain do they have? Some of them don't even have a brain, you know? Um, but that's the comparison the Bible makes between us and God. We're just the worm of the dust. That's what we are. So you don't think God intentionally put things like that in his Bible for us to discover and to joy over and, and to find and to say, yeah, God's communicating with us. He's yeah. telling us what's important. He starts each one of those sections out with, my word is important. God said, yes, God has said, and we should listen, we should meditate, and then we'll have good success because God has promised. Thank you. Well, as the old saying, I've been to, been to three world affairs, found the world twice, and never heard anything like that. I, we did Bible survey in college. They didn't cover that part of that. Where did you get all that? Yeah. It's in there, I know, but you need to write a book. We, I, we never, we, I went to school for years and never studied that. So... I can learn something new tonight. That was good. I appreciate it, brother. God bless you. One number, brother. We'll, we'll say a closing hymn. 370. 370. Let's sing a couple of verses. 370.
Are we saved? In, in Romans 8.20, it says we're saved by hope. No, we're saved by the blood. Are we saved in hope? Those two words, by or in, which is it? You know, every little word in the Bible is very important. And I can't make up my mind how I can use that by hope. I know what it means. And we'll get into that more going sometime if I'm still around when I get that far along in Romans. So uh, we'll, we'll be doing that. But God bless you all. Appreciate it. We'll be dismissed for a moment before our business meeting tonight. And, and uh, Brother Ray, would you dismiss us? Father in heaven, we thank you for this message. We thank you for y'all, Father, as we study the teaching and preaching the truth, Father. We thank you for Pastor, Father, as he's been a pastor of this church for years, Father, and you've used him. We're so thankful for that. We thank you for our church, Father, and the blessings that you've shed upon us here. We thank you for either, each and every one that shares the feelings of desire that you put in their hearts that they might attend your house. We ask you to be with those that are away from us and on the prayer list that you would lift them up, that they might enjoy health again and that they might be able to return to the house of God. Watch over us as we go through this business that now is of us. Amen. Amen. Thank you.